All right, our scripture passages today are printed in the order of worship, uh, Job 42, and then we're also going to read a section of Jeremiah 32. You can look at those in the blue pew Bibles that are in your pews. They're on pages 446 and 661, respectively. The first that we're going to read is Job 42, and I'm going to read the first nine verses. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you, By the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And our Advent reading for today is out of Jeremiah 32. You can find it on page 661. I don't know if this has ever been read on Advent before, but you know that our theme throughout this Advent season has been the fear of the Lord. So listen for those words in this Advent reading. Jeremiah 32, starting with 36. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword and famine and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place And I will make them dwell in safety, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever, for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. As we get started, I would love to pray for us. Father in heaven, we come before you and we thank you that you know who we are. You know what we need to hear. 
Father, I'm overwhelmed when I see uh, these young women and men coming back from college and um, imagining how they have experienced your faithfulness. And Father, um, them stepping into uh, this very end of this sermon series on the fear of the Lord. And I pray that for each of them, uh, to a woman and a man, that you would feed them today, that you would remind them that you are the God who knows them and who understands them, who has created them, and who is redeeming them. Father, I pray for the women and the men who have joined us today who are not normally here. Father, that you would minister to them, that you would make yourself known, that your word would speak to them and deepen their hearts, and that they would be encouraged by your determination to fill us with awe regarding who you are. Father, finally, I pray for the women and the men who have been here Sunday after Sunday and who are wondering, are you really going to put the fear of the Lord in our hearts? Are you really going to not turn from doing us good, but are you really going to rejoice in doing us good with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Father, we come before you because we're your people and you know that we do not claim to have been faithful this week in all that we have done and said. You have heard our confession and you have done what you said that those who confess their sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. So I pray, Father, that we would not listen to your word with guilty hearts today, but with great expectation that you're at work in us. Father, we look into the world. We don't have to look farther than our own families, but we see the suffering. We see the beauty and the brokenness, and our minds race to those, those many, dozens, even hundreds of people whose homes have been destroyed and whose loved ones have been killed in these tornadoes. And Father, we're reminded of how the book of Job started. We're reminded of the suffering that you have said will be ours in this life. Father, would you please speak and would you do so with boldness now, we pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Well, we come to this last sermon in our series on Job. This book is an absolute gift for us. This is called wisdom literature in the Bible. Um, it's necessary literature for human beings who live in a beautiful and yet a broken world. We've been asking week after week that you would engage this book of Job with the lens on your eyes of the fear of the Lord. And we have defined the fear of the Lord this way. The fear of the Lord would be an awe-filled orientation toward God in all aspects of life that lead to obedience. And what's the end of the fear of the Lord according to wisdom literature? Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. The end, the telos, the point of the fear of the Lord is wisdom. That's what we're told in Scripture. We have defined wisdom this way. The recognition of and the right relation to the realities 
that govern all creation. Those realities, as they are unfolded in wisdom literature, are God himself. And our right relation to him is one of love. We have said that in this last section, chapters 38 through 41, God has spoken to Job. And you can go back and listen to the sermons. We have said that God has said, in essence, I am your creator who loves you, your savior who saves you, and your redeemer who rescues you. Will you trust me? Today we're going to see in Job's response, just looking at those verses 42, 1 through 6, that Job's response demonstrates a new comprehension of God's love for him. This is important that we get a hold of this. Jesus promised some really important things to us in the Bible. And one of the things that he promised to us is that in this life, we will suffer. Many of you are currently suffering. All of us will. And I have a question for you. Would you say that your suffering has had this effect in your life, a greater comprehension of God's love for you? And you go, Bradley, how am I supposed to know this? Look at Job's words with me and what they communicate about God. This is what I want you to be convinced of today. God is determined to give Job, to give you, to give us a new comprehension of his love for us. Job's response in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 42, Job's response to God demonstrate a new comprehension of God's love for him. And I want you to see this. So look at these verses with me, if you will. Verse 1 is simply says, Then Job answered the Lord and said... You know that Job has responded to God once, and that was in chapter 39. And, and he goes, I don't have anything else to say. And God then kept talking. But Job now says this, verse 2, I know that you can do all things. That's not new for Job. Job has told God already, I know that you can do all things. But what is new in this sentence is that Job says, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In other words, Job is responding to God, and he is saying, I see what you have done. Your purpose is in speaking to me, and it has worked, is what Job is saying. Verse 3 is actually a quote from what God spoke to Job in chapter 38 in the very beginning. God asked Job, who is this that darkens counsel without knowledge? And Job says that phrase back to God. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge, Job says. He's, he's quoting God's voice. He's, he's saying to God, I heard you. And Job says, therefore I have uttered what I didn't understand, things too wonderful to me, which I did not know. 
Job has said, you are right. I spoke about things that I didn't know about, things that are too wonderful for me to have comprehended. This idea of things that are too wonderful come from the idea that one who has performed an act or has spoken a truth, that the intent of that performance has been effective. In other words, Job is saying, God, your speech has landed. It has hit its mark. Job is saying to him, my eyes are opened. And I now see your personal relationship with all of your creation. You can go back and hear those sermons between chapters 20, 38 and 39. When God illustrates his care for his creation as one who waits to watch as the wild goats come time to give birth. He's so excited. Job says, my eyes have been opened to your personal relationship to your creation. This idea of what is too marvelous for us can be found also in Psalm 118, where the the people say that the, the cornerstone that has been rejected has become the stone of foundation. They said, it's too marvelous for us. We see what you're doing. And that's what Job is saying here. We see what you're doing and who you are. In verse four, it's a second quote from God. God had said in chapter 38, Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. Job is saying back to God God's very words. Job is saying to God, You heard me, God. Because in Job chapter 13, Job actually told God, Would you call me and I would answer to you? And would you ask me and I would speak to you? That's why God said in chapter 34, Job, hear and I will speak to you. I will question you and you make it known to me. Job has said, God, you have heard my prayer. That's one thing to stop and think about for just a minute. How many prayers have you forgotten that you've even prayed? There is not one prayer that you have forgotten, that God has forgotten. Not one. Job says, or God says to Job, hear. That is Shema. Those of you who know the Old Testament know what the Shema is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. God encourages Job to listen and to respond. Job sees from God, you have called me to engage you. The very definition of what it means to be a woman or a man created in the image of God with ears intended to hear, to engage with him. And then finally in verse 5, Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now I see. Now my eyes see you. What Job had heard of before with God, now he has seen firsthand. Firsthand experience with God. In some way, God revealed himself to Job. 
his relation to his creation, but more importantly, his relation to Job. And Job responds in verse 6 in a pretty interesting way. And he says, Therefore I despise myself and repent in ashes, in dust and ashes. It's hard to understand. I despise myself. What is he saying? Is he saying that he hates himself? But if we dig into what that word means, it means that I reject what I have said. I revoke my previous statements about you, God, that in my suffering I questioned whether you cared about me. He says, I repent from them. I turn from the hard thoughts that I had about you. It says that I repent in ashes, in dust. But if you look at the footnote, it could also be read as, I am comforted in ashes and dust. How is it one or the other of those? They seem so unconnected. But to turn from our hard thoughts about God is relief from our feelings and our misconceptions about who God is. And you can see that to believe God according to his word and what he says is indeed comforting. And Job is saying, in the ashes and dust in which I now sit, still covered in boils, I am comforted by you. God, I have heard you. You are with me. The way that this song, that the way that this this sense of Job plays out is best understood with similar language out of Psalm 131. Listen to these three verses as the psalmist writes the entire psalm. If you ever want to memorize a psalm, this is a good one, three verses long. You could say you memorized a whole psalm. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I am calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Job speaks these words and in so doing he demonstrates a new comprehension of God's love for him. Let me ask you a question. Has your suffering had that impact on you? It's a hard thing to think about, isn't it? Because our suffering so often focuses us in on ourselves. Tim Keller, who is a pastor in our denomination, wrote an article that was printed in the Atlantic Monthly. And it was titled, Growing My Faith in the Face of Death. As God continued to work on Tim Keller's heart through stage four pancreatic cancer. How has your faith been strengthened through your suffering? How might you know if it has? In verses seven through 10, we see God ask something enormous of Job, don't we? In verses seven through 10, God invites Job to intercede on behalf of his friends. And Job does it. That's an amazing reality, isn't it? 
Job, who is in ashes and dust, for all we understand, still covered in the boils that was making his life miserable. Now in the context of knowing God is able to intercede on behalf of others. You see what God has done in his speech towards Job and in his coming to Job. He has restored Job to the role of a human being in relation to creation and to each other. God loved Job. God desired what was good for Job, his human flourishing. And what is that human flourishing this side of heaven? What what, what do you think it is? Is it to have a clean, well-lighted place like Hemingway writes? Is it to have success that when compared to others puts you ahead? Or is it as a woman and a man created in the image of God who is called to have dominion in the earth, when sin impacts that dominion, to intercede to the one who can bring relief. Our role as human beings is intercession. Our longing for that. Intercession that leads to union and communion. You heard that God said to his friends, my anger burns against you. I'm going to destroy you. Have Job pray for me, for you. And Job does in union and communion result. Because suffering, and those of you who suffer, and, and there are many of you who suffer deeply, you know that suffering has this dehumanizing effect to you that isolates you, don't you? You know what that's like. Mita and I have been watching a show on Netflix, and it's called The Maid. And it is a desperate situation of a show. I would love for you to watch it and tell me what you think about it. And this maid who finds herself so isolated and so dehumanized finally finds a place where she can get away from what she is in danger of in this domestic abuse situation. And when she comes to this shelter, this woman meets her at the door and she goes, now you are safe. Now I will help you. And Mita and I were watching the show and we look over at each other and tears are streaming down our faces. And yet as I thought about this, our story is so much greater, isn't it? Our story is so much greater because God has come and found us. We didn't have to go find him. He has come to us. And you stop and you say, Bradley, I feel like I'm completely lost in in suffering. I have found that my natural response to suffering, as I have been through it lately, is anxiety or, or is anger Or is this sense of helplessness? And I want you to know those are natural responses to suffering. They're very natural. But I want to ask you this question. 
Have your responses to suffering kept you from interceding for others? Have they? If so, I want you to see that there is hope here because of God's determination. In these verses, we see God's determination to give Job and to give you and to give us a new comprehension of his love for us. The first thing that's marked by is his presence. What does Job say? My eyes have seen you. Before I had heard about you, but my eyes have seen you in first person. That's what we celebrate at Advent. The God who makes himself known to us, who enters into history. Another verse of that song, O Holy Night, that Nathan and Athena sang, says this. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. What do you and I need to be convinced of our worth as we look at Jesus' appearing? Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. We have told you that there's a commentator that we have loved studying. And one of the things that she has asked in the definition of what love is, is that it has to be able to give a good answer to, why do you love me? And if love is just an appreciation of traits, those traits could be lost. That's not a good answer. If the answer is, I love you for absolutely no reason in you, that's also not a good answer. It's not what you want to hear if you're loved by another. But what about this? What about as a human being created in the image of God that you bear the unique marks of your creator and he intends to restore you to the goodness in which you are created for union and communion with him. His presence. Secondly, his self-revelation. We saw in Job that this is the longest speech by God about God in the whole book. In the whole Bible, this is the longest speech by God about God. That's pretty amazing. But at Advent... We don't celebrate speeches. We celebrate the word of God who became flesh. That verse in O Holy Night goes on and says, a thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices. How weary are you tonight? The thrill of hope. The weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and a glorious morn. The word has become flesh. Next to last, God is determined that we understand a new comprehension for his love because he provides for us an intercessor. 
in ashes and in dust. What is Job the type of in this story? He is the type of Jesus. Jesus is the reality. In Advent, Jesus Christ, born in a manger to die on a cross. And the verse goes on, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. Jesus, who suffered for our death and was raised from the dead because death was defeated. Jesus intercedes for us now at the right hand of God. And finally, from that passage in Jeremiah 32, we see his commitment to put the fear of the Lord in our hearts. Why is there the scene in Job when God communicates with Satan? I'm convinced that it's there because our hearts are pretty hard. And sometimes we can watch other people suffer and it means nothing to us. We can actually walk away. We can actually instead become angry at suffering. We, we can actually become anxious instead. We can actually avoid God and use our suffering to justify our own beliefs. But the purpose of that heavenly scene with Satan is that it draws all of us in to ask the same question of Job. Is God good? Is he loving? And in the entirety of the rest of Scripture... And in Jeremiah 32, we read that God has promised to put the fear of me in their hearts with all of my heart and all of my soul. It is the incarnation that proves that God has held nothing back. And as Paul is able to write, if, I have given, if he has given us Jesus how much more will he not give us everything that we need? I had not read Jeremiah 32 in the same idea of the fear of the Lord as I have in this season. And I'll never forget one prayer meeting where we read Jeremiah 32. And we heard that God was going to put the fear of the Lord in us with all of his heart and all of his soul and one of the attenders of that prayer meeting said, you know something, it sounds like God is really hustling to get something done. And what I want you to be assured of today, if you struggle to believe that suffering is the means by which God reveals to you and me a new comprehension of his love for us, don't struggle. He's determined to do it. And everything in Scripture points to that, and especially Christmas. Let's pray.